Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. You know, sometimes God gives us heavy things. Sometimes he even gives us something to say and, and we kind of look around at our lives and we take inventory of where we're at and, and the problem is sometimes it's what God gives us doesn't match up with what we think the reality of the moment is and it almost seems contradictory. It's kind of like maybe when you're in the worst possible moments of your life and God's asking you to have the greatest faith of your life. Maybe it's when you're presented with the lowest point in your life, and God wants you to have joy. And you say, but joy doesn't line up with where I'm at. And so all of a sudden we see the the conflict. We see the struggle, the enmity between the flesh and the spirit, between what we feel that the Spirit of God is telling us, but yet what our flesh observes. And and so please bear with me today. Travis, thank you for for that little shout-out on Twitter. I actually needed that at that moment. And so... um, you know, social media can at times be be good, and uh, Sir Trav, um, uh, giving him a little shout out for his Twitter handle. That awkward moment when you don't know somebody's name but you know their Twitter handle, and uh, uh, thank you, Travis, for that. I, I'm going to do my best to to bring the word of God as powerfully as He's given it to me, and and I don't think I'm going to do it justice. But but I would like to first just pray because I feel so heavy and so weighty about the things of God today, even deeper than, than sometimes I feel them. So, Father, we, we come together because we have to be a community. This has to be family-based. This, this has to impact us, and this has to touch us where we live. You are not a God that is so beyond us and so far from us that you don't want to know us at the deepest and most intimate places of where we live and what we think and where we are. And so today, we really live out what, what Church T is all about, and that is making disciples, and, and that is uh, creating an atmosphere where we can grow from one another. And so I pray today that as we sometimes struggle with the world around us and the chaos, and even, even right here in our own church family, the sicknesses and the illnesses and the, and the struggles and the marital strife that we see going on, it seems to conflict with what your word says. And today, I pray that your word would speak, that your Holy Spirit would convict us and move us to absolutely evaluate where we are in you and to have real moments with you and with the people around us today. And if we can do that for 30 minutes, I know that you will bless it immensely. But it might be heavy and it might be weighty and I might want to check out because I'm now having to take inventory of myself. And so, Father, I pray that we find the strength uh, through your Holy Spirit, which leads and guides us into all truth. Uh, and I pray that we're able to do that as a family and that we can leave as a family and we can leave knowing without a shadow of a doubt that you are just simply in charge. And if you be for us and if you be in charge, then I know that we can walk out of here today with perceptions changed of who you really are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. High five somebody and just tell them, no escape. Poor Nancy. There's no escape. I will be uh, reading out of the um, 139th Psalm or Song. Um, I feel like people don't even say psalm anymore. Just just call it a song. Um, this song is intense. Um, man, it's deep and it's powerful. It's not for the fence sitters. This song will basically, it's either going to drive you into a relationship, a deeper relationship with a holy and loving God, or this song, when you read it and when you digest it, it's going to drive you away. It's going to cause you to step up and say, that's not for me, that's too much, that's too heavy. This isn't one of those scriptures, this isn't one of those songs you can read and stay lukewarm. 
The book of Revelation even speaks to about being the worst kind of temperature you can be is lukewarm. He'd rather you be hot or cold. He'd rather you be on fire for Him or absolutely just with every fiber of your being just say, God is not for me. I'm not playing the fence. I'm not playing a game. I'm not going to lie about it. But he says the worst thing is to be lukewarm and I'm just going to spew you out. I'm just going to spit you out of my mouth, those who are lukewarm. And I believe this song does not allow any of us to remain lukewarm. There is no way that you can go through this song that David writes in, in some intense moments in his life and say, well, I don't really know. This is a song that will make you say, man, I want to pursue this God that is pursuing me with every." I've got with all of my guts, uh, with all of my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength. And so the good news is there is no escape from this relentless God. He is relentless. He does not stop. His love knows no boundaries. His love does not stop at our impasses. Thank you for that word, Patrick. His love does not stop at our moments of humanity. His love does not stop when I say I stop loving Him. He, Matter of fact, the scripture says that He loved me before I ever even loved Him. That, that before I even ever uttered His name, before I ever bowed a knee, before I ever say, said, come in and change who I am, He loved me fiercely, and He pursued me, and He chased me. He is relentless. He is a hound dog. He will not get off the scent. He loves you. Why? Because we're His creation. We were created for the purpose of serving Him. And He knows that it is only in that intense relationship that we will really find out who we are in Him and through Him. And so, Psalm 139, I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we'll, we'll just see where we go from here. But please, if you, ha if you, have a, if you don't have a Bible, there, there's one in the back of, of the pew there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, that's yours. That's a gift. From us to you, uh, take that home with you. Um, if, if you're more of an e-guy, an electronic person, then, then fire that up as well. Uh, but we don't have one of those to give you. Um, but you take that Bible in front of you if you need it. If you know somebody who needs a Bible, take that, give it to them. There is no reason in 2017 anybody should be without the Word of God in their hands in this country. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. And you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say. Oh boy. Even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. Your place or you place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge... Such information is too wonderful for me, too great for me to even understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning and I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength, it will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become nighttime. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Wow. You make all of the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. And I was woven together in the darkness of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life recorded in your book. Every moment laid out before a single day had ever passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are just still with me. Oh God, if you could only destroy the wicked, 
Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name, O Lord. Shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred. For your enemies are my enemies. And then you can't conclude a more powerful scripture with just jumping up a whole other level. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. See, perception. This, this is a psalm of perception. It's a song of how do you perceive God. It lays out very intricately, very detailed how he perceives us. But how do you, my question for you today is, how do you perceive him? Because when I look back on my life, I can flat out guarantee you, it's the moments in my life where pain entered, where heartache entered, where confusion entered, where a work schedule that got a little harried jumped in. When I bit off more than I could chew, when life didn't play out the way that I had it planned out, is when all of a sudden it began to test my perception of the God that I claimed that I loved. But, but why would you let this happen to me? Why would I be going through this then if? Sometimes I would even lay out and my wife and I would even have these moments in our worst and darkest moments together as a couple. We'd begin to give our resume. Can I just talk honestly? Because we're fam. I'd give my resume. Church my whole life. I'd start laying out why these things shouldn't happen to me. They should happen to other people. Don't I get anything, God, from serving you my whole life? Don't I, give any, don't I get extra credit for having been born into church and stayed in church? And I've been fairly faithful and, and I've been pretty consistent and, and I've never done X, Y, and Z and D, B, and L and F and Y and M and all the above and none of the above. And, and I realized that that didn't seem to be taken into account. I didn't seem to get to escape the inescapable. I didn't get to dodge pain. I didn't get to move away and be moved away from heartache. But I gave my resume anyway because my perception was, and it didn't line up with the Word of God, but my perception was, shouldn't of all the things that I've done, and my wife, my, if you think I'm even mildly a decent person, you ought to meet my wife. She is just a saint. First of all, she has to put up with me, and right there, those are, those are brownie points that, Get you almost to the gates of heaven themselves. And, and, and I'm thinking, my wife is such an incredibly good person. Why would she have to go through the things that she's had to go through in her life? Why would, she have, why would I have to stand almost to the side and watch her go through things that I couldn't stop or prevent or even help? And so I'd give her resume to God for her. Because why? Why? She's the best of best of humanity. See, perception is crazy because it drives our reality. And if our perception gets away from the Word of God, then our reality becomes separate from what God wants us to understand and to know about Him. So let's jump to Genesis 37 because the Bible has, the, I think, the best example of how perception can get us so far wrong from loving and from pursuing a God that really wants to be with us, who wants to change our every moment, who wants to step into a life, whether it's a, a newborn, whether it's a, it, there could be somebody in here, matter of fact, I believe there is, with a newborn in, growing inside of them that God already says, I've laid out the very intricate details of their lives and I already know their steps and I've already formed them in the womb and I've already got their days planned and I already know all about them, all the way to the most elder among us who, who might be thinking, what is, what's my purpose still? Struggling with where do I fit? It doesn't matter. Our perception has to line up with the word of God. And God, when I get away from that, pull me back. Can that be our prayer today? God, when my perception of who you are and what you are about and what you do gets a little wonky because of the circumstances around me, would you pull me back with your word? Could your word once again line me up with who you are and what you are? And so, 
Genesis 37 is a story you all know really well. It's Jacob and, and his boy Joseph. And the Bible tells us, he, he like, I love the Bible because we sometimes get all mushy-gushy. It, it says Jacob like Joseph more than the other kids. I mean, he didn't beat around the bush and said, well, you know, the other kid's personality was really nice. And, you know, and, 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 and the one brother just had a real dynamic haircut. <laughs> no, he liked Joseph the best. And so he made him a coat of many colors to show and signify the favor of his dad was on him. Well, the brothers, you know, you know the story. They, they get mad. They thump him. They throw him in a dry well or a pit. They sell him to the Midianites. And now, oops. Let's, let's do this. Let's shred up his coat a little bit, dip it in some goat's blood. And I love how this story begins to unwind because when I read it, it screams at me. And see if it works the same for you. I pray it does. This is where I just on my knees, God, would you just touch somebody with this story of how perception can get us so far away from where you want us to be. Because Jacob is presented, hey, Dad. You know, bad acting job, but it worked. Dad. Joseph! And they hand him the coat that he knows very well. An expensive, costly coat. Signifying his love for Joseph. And he's holding it. The brothers don't declare Joseph dead. The brothers don't declare that Joseph was eaten up by wild animals. The Bible says that, I believe it's in verse 32, that Jacob says, wild animals have killed my son. His perception because he's presented with evidence. How are you going to argue with that evidence? He's holding the coat that he knows his son wore. Nobody else in the village has this coat. Nobody else. This isn't confused. This isn't Saks Fifth Avenue, J.C. Penney. This isn't Sears going out of business sale. This is a coat uniquely to Joseph. And here it is with holes. It's shredded and it's got blood on it. And so Jacob presented with evidence. And that's what struck me. He has evidence that his son is dead. And it says, verse 34, that Jacob mourned Joseph a very long time. And to show his sorrow, he tore his clothes and he wore sackcloth. All of Jacob's children came to him to comfort him and yet he refused their comfort. He then says, listen to this, I will go to my grave Mourning my son Joseph. So Jacob kept grieving. (laughs) The amazing thing is the person that he's mourning for, grieving for, is in Egypt. Being prepared by a God who is very much alive. Who is very much going through his own set of circumstances that he doesn't understand, but he's a dreamer and he believes. And so while dad, every day of his life, mourns a son whom he thinks is dead, it changes the course of Jacob's life forever. Because the the reality is, Joseph is alive. Joseph is going through a process of eventually becoming the savior of his own family. He is eventually going to turn around someday and save the life of his father who is every day at a grave grieving, not living life to his fullest because circumstances of his own perception have caused him to believe a reality that isn't true. And when I read that, I thought, how many times have I been presented evidence It's evidence, it's there that says God's left you, God's forsaken you, the people that you most trusted have harmed you, that God obviously isn't listening, that he obviously doesn't care about you, that obviously he's got plans that you thought were going that way, but obviously you must have heard wrong. And we begin to take evidence that is fake and false. And we begin to craft a reality based on that because every day for decades... Jacob goes to a grave that doesn't exist that he's created and he mourns a son who is dead to him but yet is very much alive. (laughs) And so I jotted down A and B. 
because I don't do notes real well. They confuse me. I, then I, I, can't, I don't know what to do with them. I'm not really a notes guy. I get wound up. God begins to overwhelm me. But how many of us are living a lie right now? How many of us right now, based on the evidence that you think you possess, and you've declared that it is your reality, what if the situation that you think is about to be your undoing is really what God is saying, I'm about to bring that situation around to to be your greatest miracle? What if the thing that you think is getting ready to take you out, snuff out your family's life, to crush you, to damage your marriage, to take you out physically, to take you out spiritually or mentally, what if I can get back to Psalm 139 and realize this is a God who has laid out every hair on my head, that this is a God who knows when I sit down and when I stand up. Think about that. Took note. He knows it. I'm down. I'm up. When I dance, when I cry, when I'm heartbroken, when I sit back down, he's taking note. This is a God that says I use the earth as my footstool and the heavens as my armchair. This is a God who created the heavens and the earth. And he spoke out of nothing and void and said, let there be light and let there be life and let there be animals. And who even lovingly created us in the womb oh I sat down again and I stood up and he says I take note of that Greg Phillips that's how much I love you that's how much I delight in the details of your life but sometimes situations cause me to forget and think he doesn't even know anything about me because I'm presented with evidence real tangible evidence I can't knock Jacob because I'm no better than that He's holding his son's coat with blood on it. (laughs) And B, (laughs) B, how many of us go to imaginary graves already that don't even exist to mourn broken hearts, broken dreams, broken and crushed visions? God spoke to you as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult two weeks ago, last week. But life interrupted that. And all of a sudden, you're forced to weigh out a dream as a child or a dream as an adult with evidence. And you can't juggle the two. And I've come today to say Psalm 139 is going to help realign us. It's going to help straighten me back out to realize that if God has given me a dream, if God has given me a vision, if I'm not dead yet, then I'm among the living. And I'm not called to be a living, just a living, hanging out being. I've been called to be a human doing. I've been called to win my world. I've been called to be the changers that those who will turn their world upside down for the glory of the name of Jesus. And if we're called to be part of the world of the living, and I've been put into a job or a family or a place of residence, then that's where God wants me right now. And there's no evidence that anybody can present because I need to get back to the Word of God. And I need to realign myself with Psalm 139 that says, Oh, I'm down and I'm up. And he took note. And if he really cares about when I sit down and when I get up, literally the act, because I don't, don't worry, I did my homework. I got all up in the Hebrew on that, all up in it, all up in Strong's and Matthew Henry. I'm like, I'm not preaching something false. You know what the Hebrew for sit down is? It's sit down. And the Hebrew for stand up was get up. It wasn't some deep spiritual third world kind of out there ethereal thing it was he really does know when I plop it down and when I stand it up and as I get older it goes a little slower on the way it goes fast down and it's a little slower up but it's okay he knows when I sit down and stand up so I know he knows when my heart's broken I know he knows when evidence is presented that all of a sudden my life is becoming torn apart and shattered and I don't know why but I've got evidence. God says, yeah, but Psalm 139 
is my evidence. There's no C, don't get excited. But I wonder uh, how many of us go to imaginary graves. That church service you were at one day, that altar you were at might have been in the car. Might have been in your bedroom, might have been in your living room, it might have been in a hospital room, it might have been the moment you said, you know what, God, if you deliver me from this, God, I promise this. And when I'm in the moments of my greatest frailty, I, I don't want to, guys, I don't want any of us going to graves that don't even exist. Jacob is kneeling at a grave of a dead son, weeping. He's not even being the dad he's called to be to his other sons and his other daughters. Why? Because he's so locked in that his son Joseph was taken from him too early. He's at a grave weeping and crying about, a, you've stripped away from me my favorite son. You've stripped away from me the very thing that got me up in the morning. He was the son that I went fishing with and that I loved the most. And we were so connected and so close and he's gone. And it is either grave that's fake God help us to not fall down at graves that don't even exist and it changes who I am and I can't even be the dad I'm supposed to be to my kids and I can't even be the husband I'm supposed to be to my wife with what the word of God says that I'm called to be I can't even be the the individual that God has placed me it took out the high school I can't do anything why because I'm at a fake grave holding evidence and God's saying, it doesn't matter. You have all the evidence in the world. Wow. Back to Psalm 139. How am I doing on time? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, don't worry. Timers are just to tell you when you need to start preaching hard. That's what a timer is. So if we're in softball mode, I'm, I'm like fifth inning right now. Bases are loaded, though, so Careful. Back to Psalm 139, the early part shows us the intense desire that God has to know us. But here's the part that got me, man. Here's the part. If you could see me in my living room, even my wife would think I was weird. So I do it after she goes to bed. I, get, I got a pretty nice sized living room, just this one room, and we don't like coffee tables and stuff. I, I kind of like the open feel. I was in there just like on the rug, like, wow. Like it hit me. It got me. It put me in my feels. I got in there because all of a sudden, I love it when the word of God just grabs you and goes, get back to the plumb line. Get back to where you were called to be. And I have to say, God, wow, you really delight in every detail. You really do delight in my, the details of my life that I think are minutia, that I think are random, that I think don't even matter. I don't even care when I sit down and stand up. That I don't go, hmm, wow, this is a powerful moment. Woo! Mm. Wow. Everybody watch. Woo! Ric Flair. I mean, wow! Look, I sat down and I stood up, but I serve a God who pays attention to that. Ah! And then I love it when the moments I act like a little child. And I think he doesn't take note. Of my deepest tragedies. And I think he doesn't know when I'm heartbroken. And he doesn't know when I failed as a father and as a husband. And when I've failed at just being me. That he's called me to be. When I mess everything up the whole week. And I think, where are you God? Psalm 139 just brings me right back to it and says, hey, the 577 times you sat down, stood up this week, he logged them. Oh, he knows every hair on my head. Oh, they're spiky. I spike them because it hides the bald spot a little. I'm doing what I can, guys. We're in like the ninth inning for, for some of this, and I'm doing what I can. Or I'm Steve Gellin, and I'm like, I can even number those. But it's okay. He knew how many Steve had. He knew how many Steve used to have. He still, and here's why. This is when I started dancing in my living room. Verse 4 nailed me a little bit. Didn't want to hear that. Like, oh, you, uh, you, you, you knew me. Um, you know the thoughts I'm going to say before I say them. Uh, that's a problem. Um, but, so I didn't dance on that. I thought, oh, probably should check my thoughts, my heart. Mm. But he said this. You go before me. 
and you follow me. And you place, present tense, your hand of blessing on my head. He hits all three time frames right there. All three of them. He just crushes them. Because I know that I'm supposed to be running this race. Me and D-Rap, man, we're supposed to be running this race. And you too, Tosh. And you. We're all running this race. We're running this race. And it's not to the swiftest. And it's not to the fastest. It's to he or she that endures to the end. The same will be called safe. And so I know that righteousness is accounted to those who fall down 571 times, but they just get up plus one. Oh, that'd be a cool name for a church, plus one. The plus one. Because it doesn't matter. We count how many times we fail. We keep track of how many times the neighbor fails. We keep track of how many times I can't get it right. God says it's righteousness that you get up one more time than you fall. So if, but we want to keep a record, a ledger. We want to get all accounting on us. Uh, well, I failed 505 times this week. Good, get up 506 and you're, you can be in righteousness. You can be in right standing with God. If you just got the guts, wait, to get up. One more time, and he delights in the fact that I get up. Wow, wow. So he goes before me. I get it. I'm running this race. But he's behind me in my past. You know, the past that we litter with stuff. The past where I've made really dumb decisions, and I've left a trail of brokenness and destruction and stupidity and heartbreak, and I want to pretend that it doesn't bother me. And I want to pretend that it isn't there, but I'm reminded by it by others. My moments of weakness, I remind myself all too well, which means I need to get back to the Word of God because I need to see me as He sees me. And the Word of God will pull us back to that, and that's the toughest battle I think that Christians struggle with, to see myself as God sees me. He's behind me. It's kind of like... It's kind of like Peter in the garden. This guy named like, I think it's Malchus. And he comes and puts hands on Jesus. And Peter's either the greatest swordsman in the world or he's the worst. Because he takes his sword out. And just lops his ear off. This guy's either the most incredible marksman ever with a sword. Or you really don't want him on your team in like Braveheart 103. You just don't pick him. He's last. Because he obviously tried to like cut his head off and just sliced his ear. So here's Malchus, literally holding a piece of his ear, screeching like an idiot, like a banshee. My ear, my ear. This is a soldier of Caiaphas, the high priest. You are going to be, at best, jailed for life, probably put to death for taking a sword out and striking the soldier of a high priest. Peter's future, gone. At that moment, a mistake and an impetuous moment where Peter lost his temper and he got riled up. He made a boneheaded, dumb decision that has now effectively cost him his future. And I love what Jesus does in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of knowing where he's got to go. Because he knows... That Peter's past can't define his future. See, Peter's got a day of Pentecost to preach. Peter's got a moment where he's going to step out and start preaching the good news. Where he's going to begin to preach the book of Acts. And Jesus knows I can't let his past define his future. And when Jesus does that, see Caiaphas can go to the high priest and say, Hey, Peter cut my ear off. And Caiaphas will go... And everybody's like, I saw it. Dude just whoop, lopped his ear off in the dirt, all dirty. And it was like a little piece of cartilage, all this. Like, and it shriveled up real fast because it wasn't on, you know. Dr. Bean, maybe you can help me out here. I, I don't know. Have you ever seen an ear? Just, yep, he says, I'm good. It's just like, and all of a sudden his ear's like half the size of what it was when it was attached. And it's all dirty. And it's like just sitting there. I bet it's just quivering a little bit. <laughs> And so Caiaphas is like, dude, I'd love to throw Peter in jail for the rest of his life, man. Let's smoke this dude. Smoke him. Let's two-piece him. Let's get him. I need to see the evidence of the crime. 
Well, after my ear got cut off and I lost about half a pint of blood, Jesus picked it up and slapped it back on. But I'm telling you, Peter did it. And Caiaphas goes, listen, we already got one trial cooking. Listen, you literally have no evidence that your ear got cut off. I don't care about the witnesses. I don't care who saw it. I don't care who smoked it with you. I don't care who went to jail with you. When Jesus steps into your past, uh, he can clean up stuff that you thought was too bad, too ugly. You've been running from it. He says, I go before you, but I'm still behind you. And in the moment, my hand is on your head of blessing. See, we always just think he's in front of us. He said, I'm still in your past. The part you can't do anything about, I'm still cleaning it up for you. I'm still back there repairing situations and repairing relationships and doing things that you can't do anymore. I don't even want you worried about the things that are behind you. But know that I'm back there. Wow. So then that's when I was like my living room, like, yes. This God that we serve is so incredible. It's mind-blowing. Ooh, that clock. I ain't scared of you. I ain't scared of you. Keep looking at me, clock. But I'm, I'm, we're like seventh inning. And in high school softball, that's the last inning. Or baseball. See, Isaiah 55 declares his ways, not our ways. Don't even, matter of fact, don't even stress it. Don't even worry about it. I know we're humans. We want to make sense of everything. Because what happened on Monday is going to drive what happens on Tuesday, right? And what happens on Monday, Tuesday is really going to shape how Wednesday is going to be. And those three days are really going to, but Friday's all right because TGIF. But, you know, things, see, you, God, you don't, the puzzle, and what he's saying is the puzzle that I'm putting together for you is uniquely you. It's nobody else's puzzle. The beautiful thing is your relationship with somebody, husband and wife, I, I can, I'll just, we, I got that puzzle. It doesn't stress him out. Start weaving that puzzle together. Oh, you bring kids into the situation? I'll weave them in there too. I can uniquely change anybody's situation. Oh, yeah. Take note of that. I'm keeping him busy today. Take note. Up, down, up, down. He, del- he knew I just did that. It says he took stock in that. He took, he, he saw it. And not like this just, um, you know, Bette Midler. I hate that song so bad. God is watching. No, he wants to live in my heart. Sorry if you are big Bette Midler fans and you love Beaches or whatever that movie is and now you're going to quit church. I apologize. But that song is just too hokey pokey for me because he wants to live in here and change me from the inside out. He's just not up there just kind of hovering, watching, just, you know, like some kind of just big owl up there just peering around. He wants to get intimate with us. He desires intimacy. So his ways are above our ways. There's no escape from this God. No escape. You can't do anything dumb enough. You can't be addicted enough. You can't be stupid enough. You can't be tough enough. You can't be too weak. It doesn't matter. You can't escape the love that this God has for you and will pursue you till the end of the earth. He will take any situation and use it for his glory. He will take your mess and give you a message. He will take your addiction and he'll put you in three years. You'll be preaching to addicts about a God that can bring you out who doesn't care what your last name is, doesn't care about what mess you made in your past. He just doesn't really get too excited about it. Why? Because he delights in the details of my life. And that word delight, I looked it up. It means he really is like super pumped about it. Sometimes I look these words up in the Hebrew and in the Greek, and I'm like, oh, it's about to hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's like, no, sit down and stand up means sit down and stand up. I'm like, okay. Every now and then the Greek will get pictorial on you, and you're like, oh, that's good. Because English is a pretty dry language. But He delights in the details of my life. See, Psalm 23 and 6. See, you can't run him off your front porch. He'll be there again tomorrow. He won't force himself on you, but he's there. He says, I'm as close as the mention of my name. Phil, thank you. The name of Jesus. He's there. So he delights in taking the brokenness of your life and kind of keeping it broken. 
but just moving you forward and saying, listen, that brokenness gives you an opportunity to take the broken pieces and I'll put them together when I'm ready, but you just walk it out. You just understand that I knew every broken heart. I knew every broken moment. I knew every moment you messed up in college. I knew every moment that you didn't think anybody else knew. I know your ugly secrets. I know your pretty secrets. Uh, I know what, what, I know you shouldn't be drinking uh, milk uh, in the evening. You know that I know that you're lactose intolerant. Uh, you know that I sit down and stand up. I know all about you. I know the details of your life. I framed you and I've created you. And I know that this looks really bad and I don't understand why this happened, but I'm just going to have to go back to Psalm 139 and let God line me up and let God remind me that if he's in front of me, so he's got my future, he's got his hand on me, and he's behind me, I'm covered. I'll take that deal every day of the week, twice on Sundays. Why? Because I serve a God that goes before me. And a matter of fact, he said, if whoever before you, if I before you, who can be against you? So Chill, I got this. Psalm 23 and 6. Surely, goodness and mercy. They're like two hound dogs on your trail. They will hunt you. Pursue you all of the days of your life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And at the end... David gets a little squirrely because he wants God to destroy all the wickedness. He wants God to take the evil. He wants God to clean it up so they can just be heaven on earth. God doesn't really give an answer. But David knows that he's about to step into an area that we can't step into. See, I've got to love my neighbor as myself. Like Nancy was talking about, I'm called to listen to the voice of a God who will put me in places that I don't understand and send me into missions and fields that I don't feel I'm ready for. But he's calling me. And if I have Psalm 139 on a note card, hint, hint, and I got it stuck to my bathroom mirror or my headboard, hint, hint, or I've got it on my car's mirror in the morning, hint, hint, pieces of this that remind me that he delights that I sat down in my car and he took note of it and he knows that Makes me want to pursue a God that's pursuing me that heavy. Makes me want to run into his arms. It makes me want to pursue him. Why? If there's a God that cares so much about me, when I'm in my basement and I think I've escaped from everything and I'm in my basement because I don't want to handle the life and I don't want to handle the world, God is still saying there, right there, saying, would you just open your mouth and say, Jesus, it's all you got to say. Jesus, I need you. I need you to change the situation. And and David says this, and I, I'm done. I don't know if music and all of that. I, I get confused by all this stuff. But the greatest prayer we can pray, and we're going to pray it together today. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Do you realize how dangerous that is as a prayer? Because the Bible even says that your heart is wicked. What man can know it? It's Your heart is full of things. Just follow your heart. Please don't. Please pray it out. Please get the word of God in you. Have people in your life that will speak to you. Please don't follow your heart. I, that's a worldly saying. and I, pro, I sure I, Just follow your heart. Mm, mm. I'm sure we could probably line up the walls with testimonies of people that followed their heart. And oops. It's like a bad Britney Spears song. I did it again. Like, followed my heart. <laughs> oops. <laughs> Hashtag too soon. Sorry, guys. So, like, this prayer is so intense. This prayer is so powerful. Search me. I'm giving you permission. A God who uses the earth as his ottoman, who reclines in the heavens, knows when I sit down and stand up, and I can give him permission. I can actually tell him this is open for you. Would you walk in? Which means he won't barge in. Which means he will stand and knock. But he's a gentleman. He isn't going to just barge into your heart and start rooting through your drawers. 
He will knock. And he will let situations cause you to reevaluate life. And he'll take the ugliest thing and make it the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. He'll take the nastiest situation and say, just, just let me work it. You stay out of it. Let me work it. You just keep running the race that I've put before you. But I fail. Get up then. Okay. Search me, oh God. Come into my heart. And if there be anything in here that you don't like, remove it. yours. You take it. We could probably all get out a post-it note and write down some things we're probably very aware of in our own lives that he would love to have. And the funny thing is, some of us would say, I'd love to give it to him. Today's our chance to pray this prayer. Because Psalm 139 concludes with, I think it's, other than the prayer in the garden, not my will, but your will be done in me. There aren't very many more powerful prayers that just cut to the heart of where we're at as human beings. Search me. Tear through me. See, because 1 Corinthians 13, 7 and 8 says, love never gives up. Never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. You, You can prophesy and speak in unknown languages and have special knowledge, and it will become useless, but love will last forever. He wants to do this through the vehicle of love. I feel so weighted because even though we've, we've really had a good time moving through Psalm 139 together, I know there are people in here trying to battle circumstances. Tears just ran down my face as I saw a family over here trying to put pieces together. And I feel so inadequate with answers. I don't have them. But Psalm 139 grabs my heart and reminds me that if you know when I sit down and you literally take stock of when I stood up, that you know exactly what's going on in my family's life. You know exactly what's happening in my heart. You know exactly what's happening in my marriage. You know exactly why. And so that's the comfort that I think the Word of God offers today. And if we could pray this prayer together, I'd love it if you just grabbed a hold of somebody. If you feel like getting up walking seven pews over because somebody caught your eye 27 minutes and 13 seconds ago and you logged that down, be sensitive to the Spirit of God. But I'd love it if you could just grab somebody's hand next to you. Father, sitting in this room today, me, somebody who's messed it up more than I've gotten it right. Sitting in this room today are people battling addiction, wondering all of the years that they've left behind them in ruin and the relationships that seem to be forever broken. I'm reminded in Psalm 139 that you are before me, but you are behind me cleaning up my mess. That's the kind of God that you are, that you will do that for me. I can't go into my past and clean up messes. And when I try, I just make bigger messes. But you're a God that loves me so much that you've got my future paved for me. And your hand of blessing is on me right now, but you're behind me too, making sure that I don't get brought down from behind by an enemy. There are families battling cancer. And there are families battling marital issues. There are people sitting here thinking, so frustrated. When's God going to call me to the mission field? When's God going to give me that word that I've been praying for and fasting for? What is my next role at Church T? Where am I at in my life? I've, I've tried to take stock of that. I've tried to evaluate that. Let's pray, God, search my heart. I'm giving you permission right now. Let's pray this as a church, as a family. Father, I am giving you express permission right now to come into my heart and to search it. Know my heart. Test me.
Know my fearful thoughts. Point out anything that offends you. And I then want to pray this prayer. God, if you find something that offends you, it should offend me too. And I don't want it in my heart because the heart is the vehicle of my emotion. It is the, it is the center of, of myself. And so I want that to be toward, tilted towards you. I want my heart to be your heartbeat. I want my heart to line up with your word. And so if there's anything wicked in my heart right now, I might not even know it. It might not even seem wicked to me. And Lord, for anybody that's at a grave right now like Jacob was, mourning and and crying over a lost relationship or a broken dream or a crushed vision, I pray that you renew them with Psalm 139 that says, I know when you stand up and I know when you sit down. Get up off of that grave. Get up out of that place that I haven't called you. I didn't ask you to sit and mourn for things that aren't even real. Just accept the fact that I am God and I am God alone. And my spirit will lead and guide you. So, Father, I pray today that you just, that you just change us from the inside out. That you give those who came in hopeless hope. That you give those who had no direction, direction. That you gave those who came in mourning, that you send them out rejoicing. Even in the midst of the craziest circumstance, nothing is more powerful than somebody that has a right to mourn who says, no, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so, Father, you know all of the battles being fought and being waged in here. But Psalm 139 just reminds us that you love us fiercely, that you know my details of my life, that you knew me before I was even formed in my mother's womb. Wow. Father, we're overwhelmed today by your presence and by your strength and who you are. We just lay down our lives to you and ask you to go through our hearts this week. Your word will light our path. It'll be a lamp to our feet. Jesus, you are amazing. And from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are my alpha and my omega. You are my beginning and my end all at the same time. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me. And I pray that you pursue us till the end of the earth. And I pray that every person in here, when you knock, will open. Jesus, thank you so much. And it is in your great and mighty name we pray. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.